Pete Yost here for the Unbuild It podcast with a word about our sponsor, Huber Engineered Woods. There are really three reasons why I think Huber Engineered Woods stands out, and it's a big part of why they're a sponsor of our Unbuild It podcast. First, they develop systems of products. The products are compatible and integrated. Makes our jobs a lot more easy in the field and when specifying. Second is superior tech support. There are really good website resources that they have developed for the application of their products, but they also have an outstanding uh, 800 number tech team that really knows their stuff. And the last is a really active technical research and development team with whom I've done a lot of work over the years and I have a lot of faith in the information I get from them when I have questions about product performance. So that's it. That's our high-performance sponsor. Now on to the podcast. Welcome to the Unbuild It podcast. I'm Jake Bruton. Today I'm joined by my other two normal co-hosts, Steve Basic and Peter Yost. Say hello. Yeah, hello. Jake is our perfect host. And today we're going to talk about floor framing, but I want to start the floor framing conversation talking about World War I. Ooh. You're going to lay a good floor for more, this conversation? More specifically, we're going to talk about French General Ferdinand Foch, F-O-C-H. Uh, so this is one of this is a, the, the beginning of us diving a little deeper into framing. We're going to talk floors and walls and roofs. But this quote has been stuck in my head for like six months since I read uh, an article about this French general. Uh, a little background, he was like the general in charge of the French infantry. And at the the Treaty of Versailles, he was the one that negotiated terms or was in charge of negotiating terms. And he's also the one that like is most famous for saying these terms aren't strict enough. Obviously, this was in French and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, these terms aren't strict enough. This is not a peace treaty. This is a 20 year armistice. And like World War Two broke out almost 20 years to the day of wow. them signing the yeah the Treaty of Versailles. So like he turned out to be right, whether or not, you know, justifiably he was right or not. He basically said, this is not strict enough. We're not going to get, you know, peace out of this. Don't worry. We're going to get the floor for We are. We are. But the, the quote that I walked away from the article was him talking about the war and it was his second most famous quote. And it was, what is this all about? Mm. And I thought that that was like a perfect thing for when we start framing a house and we start at the floor elevation, there are so many decisions that have to be made that have nothing to do with the actual floor. But so you're reading this book about a French general from the early turn of the century and floor framing. Comes and thinking mind. about floor framing. And you say, I need help. It's a big but wide the, world. The quote was, what is this all about? And it makes sense to me to go, okay, but our layout has to be this because we have to do this and our, our walls are going to end up being like this so that we have to make a change from this. And like, there's all these decisions. There's all this. We have to know what we're doing. We have to know what it's about at that moment that kind of guides the way that we look at it. And you're perplexed for some reason. No, I'm just thinking, trying to politely play along, trying to put up with the fact that I bought Steve politely playing (laughs) along. That's good. That's a, that's a good goal. Autobiography, politely (laughs) playing along. Uh, I would title it that. So pretty true. we start with that decision-making process. One of the big ones is uh, as simple as spacing. 
What is our what are our framing members going to be? What is our layout going to be? What material are we going to build it out of? Right. And what, if it's what it's all about, do we always frame floors? I mean, do we do concrete decks, metal decks? Why don't we do those? Are we going to claim the same reason that not very many people have adopted SIPs or ICF is because it, it's not the way that we've done it in the past? Yeah. I mean, it gets back to why we think so often about framing everything because we're carpenters, right? We, we like to do things out of wood. And the, the kind of wood that I can carry around with me or with me and one other person. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of this goes back, I think, to if it's type 5 construction, um, you're allowed to build stuff out of stuff that burns, right? How am I doing for laying the base for talking about floor <laughs> framing? Have you ever built a house where the floors weren't framed with wood? Yes. Hmm. Well, how about concrete slab? Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> slab on grade, but you've built floors above one Sips story. Floor? Yes. And, that, and what so were they? Me. What was it? Concrete. Hmm. Suspended concrete. Well, yeah, we didn't fill a basement. So it would have to be suspended, right? <laughs> and so what drove the suspended concrete decision making? That funny. Um, well... You guys have me, I, like you guys were rattling on. I had a whole train of thought. I was going to come in and drop the H-bomb. <laughs> and then you switched the concrete floors. So Sorry. It totally took me off the whole wood frame floor thing. So I'm trying to mentally regroup. We're on the decision-making conversation. On, yeah, I know. I was on it too. But <laughs> you just went to move to concrete, which is not <laughs> part of, well, it is part of the decision-making process, but that's way after these other decisions that I'm forced to make. Such as? So when you say this is, what's this all about, right? When you drive through, I'll use uh, post-war New England neighborhoods because that's what I'm the most familiar with, right? There's a reason why houses are 24, 26 feet wide because they put a bearing wall down the middle, they frame them with two by eights and they hit their limit at 24, 26 feet. Yeah. It wasn't that they fit on the lot better or whatever. It was they were governed. And it just so happens that 24 feet with a two by four wall yielded like a 11 foot bedroom on the wall, mm-hmm. right? 11 and change. So you get two bedrooms on the split on that. You get to frame it with two by eights. Second floor, we have houses in New England, our second floors are two by six. Yeah. With uh, a bit of a because well, they're because they're a cape, so you lose, you know, you drop about forty percent of the second floor, um, but uh, that that two by eight. So when you say what's this all about, as an architect, when you sit down, you look at it and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have a house here, and you know, initially, it's a, it's a question of like how big is the house, right? Because if it's twenty five hundred versus say five thousand square foot then the house might grow from 28 feet wide to 30 or 32 feet wide. Mm -hmm. And so the 28 foot wide, you know, if you put a beam down the middle, then you can sit there and say, okay, I'm down at 14 feet. I can probably do it with two by tens. I can do it with a nine and a half inch um, eye joist. I can do it with a trim joist that has the trimmable open web, or I can just move to a regular truss system. So my, my, um, Decisions abound there. The, the questions also are, what's the vertical? Do I have any vertical restrictions as to, do you, am I okay with the deck being 
or first floor being 25 inches above grade because that's about where it's going to fall with a, with a 10 inch or 12 inch floor frame. You're going to fall in there. So, so these, these kind of uh, questions about the design and aesthetics are driving some of those framing decisions, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm trying to figure out where to, the, the floor relative to grade. Am I going to have patios outside? Are they going to be brick or are we going to do decks? Are we going to do a deck that goes down to a patio? All these things come to mind. And then from there, then I get into, okay, well, what floor system is the best for this house? And, um, you know, it, if, if I use an eye joist, then I don't have the flexibility I have with trusses. Is the, is the basement going to be finished? Mm-hmm. Right? Because if the basement is finished, eye joists become an easier answer because I have, I'm going to put drywall on the ceiling so I don't have to worry about the fire Fine. code issue related to leaving engineered wood joists open. So the, the question is, do I move towards a solid stick, 2 by 10 or 2 by 12, or do I go to the eye joist? The other questions are, I've had clients that were, I had, had one client, she was super strict. Absolutely no adhesives, glue, or anything in the house. So we had to do it with solid stick. The floor sheathing was board sheathing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everything. It's like, I sent that out to the structural engineer and he emails back like, are you serious? You really want to do this? He goes, you know how expensive that's going to be? Mm. And I said, yeah, we want to do it. And she knows it's going to be twice the price for the frame. Mm. All right. We sent it to the framer. Guess what he said? Do you know how expensive this is going to be? It's probably going to be twice the price. Yeah. Yes, we know. But so there's there's a whole bunch of client requirements that, that come into play with it. Um, and then the decisions of is the is the downstairs um, finished? Is it is it an eight-foot basement or is it a 10-foot basement? Because if it's a 10-foot basement, then I'm more... Um, putting beams and putting soffits beams underneath and stuff and underneath and I can you know if I drop a 10 inch duct down and have to build the soffit that's different than building down a seven foot six ceiling so I was wondering when you were going to get to not just the implications of structural choices but other things that have to be accommodated as, yeah, as you mean so, the way what is it all about <laughs> well and then all of that ties into what is the budget for this project right because mm-hmm. someone that's going to put a say a $80,000 home theater in the basement, then they're not going to care about the upcharge of $2,000 to move to floor trusses from an engineered floor joist to ensure all the heating ducts and plumbing get run run down that. So when in design do you pick your floor framing systems? I think early on I have a sense of what it's going to be. So do do you have a preference that all other things equal... This is the floor framing system I like to use. I mean, trusses definitely offer the most flexibility, but trusses offer the the least flexibility to get them right, Hmm. right? Because solid saw and two-by-tens were cutting on site. Engineered floor joists were cutting on site. We can go grab another one if we need another one. Yeah, the trusses get manufactured. And if they come and they're a quarter inch short, then we have to deal with how do we deal with a quarter inch short. Right. But there's companies now out there like Triforce Open Joist where they're a open web truss that has a four foot engineered eye joist at the end that you can trim up to two feet. So you can buy those in two foot increments and you get the benefit of the open truss with the trim Adjustability, yeah. 
of if your foundation is out. And, you know, you, you would like to think that everything's Which perfect. Which it will be. But the, <laughs> the foundation guy, if he's out a little, then the framer is going to have to exaggerate it and square it up. And, you know, the what you thought was 24 feet is now 24 and 7 eighths or something. Right. And right. 24 on the other end. And 24. Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope not. But, um, but that but, happens. But all these decisions begin to play roles in, in that you know, the, the floor framing issue and the span, right? There's understanding what we're going to put in the basement. So when I have, when I <clears throat> start out design, I, I give people homework and they lay out like, okay, we want a media room in the basement. Well, if I know I'm putting a media room in the basement and say the house is 28 feet deep, there's a really good chance that I'm not going to run a beam down the center of the house, right? I might push it so that it's 18 feet and 10 feet. Mm-hmm. And I use the 10-foot as a utility corridor, or what I call the dirty basement, down the ba- down the side. And the 18 feet is the clean basement. So there's no ductwork. There's no plumbing. None of, none of that stuff underneath the floor joist. It's all on the dirty basement side. Right. So that allows me to use the eye joist and stuff again as part of that decision-making process. So there's, there's, I, I, I'll let you guys speak. I know I'm taking over here, but there's, there's definitely this matrix of client wishes, client budget mixed with what we have available to how flexible do we want to be with that floor system? So I remember the very first project when I worked together was that, Cleveland housing project yes. in Ohio and taking a look at the floor plans and looking at your framing, which rang, ran exactly the opposite of the way I would think it would go because I was looking at it from strictly structural. And I asked you, I said, why are you doing the framing perpendicular to the way that it seems logical for structure? And you said, I'm not trying to accommodate the structure there. I'm trying to accommodate the HVAC system and the location of the, the plant. Yeah. And, uh, that was like a huge thing. And I remember those plans. It came, the, the duct came up one side. It ran underneath the nine-foot ceiling. So we had one soffit literally down the middle of the house over the kitchen bar. Mm-hmm. But that allowed us to come off the top of that duct into the joy space and go all the way to the back of the townhouse and all the way to the front of the townhouse. But it was huge for me because I had never in once in my life thought about accommodating framing according to mechanical needs. Well, it's mechanical, but also think about it from an air barrier perspective. If I have a 40 or 50 long, foot long <coughs> condo, I can choose to run the framing the short way and end up with, I mean, 40 foot, that's 10, 30, that's 30 penetrations of floor joists mm-hmm. through the air barrier. Right, right. If I put one or two beam lines in there, I have two or three penetrations and all my floor joists run parallel to that wall. So I can put the drywall up there, run it up, get it nice and airtight and acoustically more efficient because mm-hmm. I don't have these breaks in that wall between units. So there's a lot of things that we could sit here and talk for hours about because the, the matrix is so intertwined. So when, when I started thinking about this, the first thing I thought of was HVAC and I thought of my personal house where we ran uh, not HVAC, but mechanicals, plumbing from one end of the house to the other to the first available down wall that's not an exterior wall. The next thing I thought of is one that I feel like every time I have a conversation about floor framing with contractors trying to do advanced framing 24 on center that they don't know. Are you familiar with the L over 360 requirements for tile? 
So ceramic and porcelain is an L over 360. Yep. Uh, if you don't know what L over 360 is, it's the span of the joist divided by 360 is the allowable deflection before it's too much deflection for that tile. Mm-hmm. It's L over 720 for natural stone. And this is the one that nobody seems to know. Uh, and I printed the chart. Huber does not allow you to use their three-quarter subfloor 24 on center to meet an L over 360. Oh, so anybody out there that's framing advanced framing and still using the 23, 30 second subfloor, uh, you need to be at the seven eighths if you want to make that L over 360 and you've got to be at the inch and an eighth to make the uh, L over 720. L over 720. Even that, there's a kind of. So you have to know what tie, you have to know what the floor floor finish is. Well, there is, but there's a micro matrix to that too. Because if I put three quarter inch over two by 12s on 24 inch on center, or I put three quarter inch over an all joist 25 series, which has a three and a half inch flange, that flange reduces the span by three hmm. inches. It does, but it doesn't get it to that 19 and three sixteenths that but actually qualifies. I, get, it, I understand that. that. It's But it's not only about the span. It's about if I put a good bead of adhesive there, I get better composite action at, on the negative moment over the floor joist. Hmm. So, so all the structures those were a lot of fancy use. words. You're saying the more gluey, the, the more, more it becomes one area, thing. The more surface area I built. So think about parking garages. Those are T-beams, mm-hmm. right? The reason they work is because there's this thing called composite action. The beam and that top plate is a flange to the beam. So it's a T-shaped beam. It's not a beam carrying a slab. It's a T-beam. So the minute I glue the eye joist to the subfloor, I've created a, a connection there and I get composite action, which increases. So that's why you get increased floor performance when you glue and screw or ring shank nail, because the, the closer I make the subfloor to the floor joist one, yeah. the better composite action I get. But there are simple solutions to things like that specific problem. You frame that one section 16 on yeah, center. Yeah, I mean, I to, to go to a 24-inch on center floor frame, it is, it's one of those things that it's probably one of the bigger battles and bigger nightmares that it's worth just unfortunately saying, hmm. keep the floor at 16 inches on center. So that's interesting because most advanced framing would say 24 on center as the the spacing for all for all members of the framing package, and you're saying, hey, there's better battles than for the floor. It would if like if, if I was doing a if I was doing a post-war New England house that was 24 by 42 <laughs> cape. Yeah, I would have no problem going to 24 because you're probably going to go from a two by eight to a two by ten floor joist. Right. You bump the the floor shading from three quarters to seven eighths or an inch and an eighth, and you run with it, and you're good. But if you're doing a 3,000-square-foot custom home that the exterior wall is coastlining and a bunch of things are happening there, then it becomes a real nightmare. Walls are far easier to do and roof trusses at 24 inches on center than floors because those are have more consistent um, sheathing types, right? I mean, I'm going to put plywood or OSB for 99% of the houses we do on the outside of the stud wall. So the stud wall doesn't know the difference as much. Yeah. But like Jake said, you get some of these houses, people want to put like 30-inch square tile in their kitchen now. It's like, man, you got to have... You can't know. deflect and at all. I mean, one of, the, one of the, the typical details that Lexi and I do is 
under every kitchen island for four feet to one side to the other side, we double the floor joists underneath it. Hmm. And it's not because of the weight. It's it's more of a comfort knowing I'm um, buying a better house. Because people have said, why, why do we have all these double joists? They said, well, when you're having a dinner party and you have 10 people around the island and someone's walking across the room, you don't want everybody's wine glass shaking. So I want to stiffen the floor because we don't want to give a sense that your house is a piece of crap, hmm. that we've designed something good. And the island is a heavily trafficked area sure. that it doesn't necessarily just have the static load of a big island and countertop. It has the dynamic load of people walking by and it has the visual experience of there's it's one of the places where people are going to be sitting and you would notice a wine glass shaking when. Like our Somebody mics and our tables shaking. With it's so funny you say this because in, in our 100-year-old New England home, it's two by eights, full span, 12 feet, just right on the margin. And we came in and did a kitchen remodel that involved a 14-foot-long granite countertop. I had to go downstairs and beef up. I had to put in a partition wall to support yeah, we've the done load that. from I'm, that. When we've remodeled houses and you're going from like no island and we're in there down doing a 12-foot by you know, three and a half foot island and there's two by eight joists. It's like, no, yeah, we got to beam yeah. or we got to go down there and sister. It's like all a hammock. <laughs> yeah. And the homeowners like, look at you like, why do we have to do that? And I'm like, well, cause you don't want the place shaking or the tile cracking or. Yeah. So I laid out three things in front of us here. Uh, these three things are printed and in every job file. Whenever we have a file folder at the jobs, uh, from the beginning of the project, and they deal specifically with four framing. And I wanted to say that, first of all, I like pictures. So two of the three are pictures. The first one is R502.2. The second one's 502.8. The first one is like... So from the code book. It's those amazing. Are, those are out of the code book? Yeah. Huh, that's what it looks like. And I'm like, it's amazing how much information can be on one picture and how much you can really infer from what they've included cool. and what not included. Uh, so I would recommend looking at these for sure. The second one, the 502.8, is the notching and drilling guide, which nice. is a fantastic yeah. one. And then the third one, if you don't buy your materials at Mid-City Lumber in Columbia, Missouri, you probably don't know about it. Our lumberyard has taken uh, the span charts out of the code book for species, dimension, and everything for dimensional lumber and given you what's allowable for what spaces and what the spans are. So it takes, they've simplified about six or seven charts and put them on one laminated sheet that like this thing does wonders when we're remodeling and we don't know what we can and can't do. So two pictures in one table. <clears throat> yeah. No, no two, text. Two pictures and yeah, as a few words My as possible. engineering professor said, take the, take the depth in inches, multiply it by three and answer the question in feet. So and the depth in inches. The depth in inches multiplied by three, it will give you the span rating in feet. Are we going to real-time check that? That's, he said that should get you very close. So a two-by-ten is 15 feet. Yep. He said when you start exceeding 15 feet, then you need to start questioning. It's pretty safe up to about 15. So hmm. if you were Doug Fur and select 16 on center... Uh, two by ten, seventeen four. Yeah, that's span. Doug Fur. If you went down to Spruce Pine Fur, it's probably closer to the sixteen like, feet, yeah. even. So fifteen feet is so now double check the two by twelve. It should be eighteen feet. It's nineteen six. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah. So say, are, say the calculation one more time. So, so right it is the depth in inches times three answered in feet mm-hmm. is the kind of cautionary note of span. Okay. I like it. So I have to tell one more quick Steve Basic story, which is when you were working for the Building America program at Building Science Corporation and Joe and Betsy sent you out to the West Coast to do training for architects in advanced framing and and particularly floor systems to accommodate HVAC. Tell the real quick story of what happened when you did that. Is this the... Um, I, I think it was Kaufman and Broad, but... For production no, no, this was uh, that was in Sacramento with uh, Rich Coyle. Oh, was right? it? I didn't. It was, the, that. it was the discussion with the architect about toilets, kitchen sinks, and that. No, it was when they sent you out to train these architects for a production builder about how to do advanced framing from a building science perspective, and particularly to accommodate HVAC. You were supposed to do a two-day training, and you called Joe and Betsy the first night and said, "I'm catching a plane home." And Joe and Betsy, what do you mean you're in the middle of your training? He goes, they're not coming back. They told me that it's not their job to figure out floor framing. Yeah. They're architects. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's baffling. I mean, architects don't. Let's, let's be fair, though. One of these days we'll get up enough gumption where we can sit here and I'll just have a podcast, an architecture, architect bashing podcast. <laughs> no offense to architects. Half, if not more, of every architect that I've ever worked with. No offense shouldn't be calling stuff out anyway because they're not going to pay attention. So I'd rather them just not put it on the plans and let me figure it out anyway. <laughs> That's the other approach is it is, it is not your responsibility yeah. as an architect. Well, I don't want you to do there's it. There's a lot of things that, that play a role in the integration of, I mean, designing a house is not, some architects choose to design half the house mm-hmm. and they design it from an application standpoint, not an integrating standpoint. Yeah. That, so no that, say that again. They design it from an application standpoint. So not I for integration. To, right. I want it to look this way. Yeah. I want to have these kinds of windows out front, nice and big with stone on the corners here and this and that. Yeah. Now you go figure out and apply my concept to the building yeah. assemblies. But to be fair, and I start every training I do with architects about this saying, I'm not an architect and I'm not an architect because as a building science consultant, I get to focus on one lens to look at a building. To be fair to architects, you have so many lenses through which you have to Well, that's what I'm evaluate. saying. The matrix, when you talk about yeah. floor framing, it's not just about, hey, we're going to do two by tens or eye joists. It's hard. It's, it's hard to be an architect. What's, what is down? You, so again, it's, you know, the, the more... I do this, the more cranky I get about what it is. That, I didn't know what's that was possible. No, it, it is. I still have <laughs> a lot left on my crank meter. Um, but, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but um, it it is definitely all about what questions should we be asking. And that's everybody. So when is you say. The entire design That's process? when you say, what is this all about? It's about what are the questions? Because you can't effectively, in, in, in my eyes, you can't effectively design the right floor frame system, unless you know what are the rooms below, what are the rooms above, what are the potential finishes for that floor, what is the budget? And, and we started this conversation with, have you ever built a floor not out of wood framing? And the thing I like about this is that every time I ask you a question about adding a design constraint, you just say, tell, tell me up front 
what you need and then I will design around that. Yeah. And so I'm sure the question about not using fl wooden floor framing was there was some design constraint for that building that said, I've got to think outside the box. I've got to do something. On we have a house under construction right now. It's got a steel beam. Um, the first floor is a steel beam metal uh, composite um, pan with a concrete slab in it. Because the homeowners wanted concrete on the first yeah. floor, but they didn't want to forfeit the basement. Aesthetics? Um, the aesthetics, the modern, the house is a very contemporary looking house. Hmm. Um, this is the one that had the um, uh, uh, that crushable stuff under the, the beam that it got a bunch of comments on Instagram. Um, it's something. The thermal bond, break. Thermal bond or aroma bond or it's a something. Aroma bond. I forget. Anyways, but that was their goal. They wanted yeah. a steel beam. Um, or they wanted a slab system. So when we worked out with the structural engineer, he thought a couple steel beams, the uh, which created corrugated. Um, it's a pan, metal pan, pan floor. You know, you can get about eight or nine feet out of those. So we have a, a primary beam system, a couple secondary beams, and then we have that metal pan system. What Jake, um, just, just, I know we're about to wrap up. Do you have a go-to uh, favorite floor framing system or is it like whatever fits the best bill? It is whatever fits the best bill, and I live completely in two camps. I still, from a carpentry standpoint, really enjoy working with dimensional lumber. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I really like floor trusses. Well, I'm going to throw this one out at you, too, because this is just another level of matrix that I don't control. What does the lumberyard carry? Yeah. Mm. Right? Because I can sit here and say, let's use uh, Boise Cascade BCI joists or Roseburg this right no right. the lumber yard up by us they use all joist yeah yeah so regardless yep. of what i send in good point the lumber yard is going to come back and they're going to say hey we substituted all joist and we had our engineer just do a one-for-one -one substitution using all joist so so now what that has prompted me because i do work all over the country is when i'm sitting there we i usually have a conversation with the builders and we talk through and one of my questions is is what's the you know what does your lumber yard carry for floor joists and for this and for that so that i know because rather than have them spec something and then we have to do an or equal let's just start out specking what you're gonna buy so let's find out what you can buy yeah and then we'll go from there so, Jake, we have a new final wrap-up, which is Pete's I favorite. I still have one more. Oh, no. sorry. I, I know. I went too soon. But I, I got to tell you about this because this is pretty This is pretty <laughs> exciting, and you'll, you'll understand why the minute I say it. So, I'm doing an ICF house. <laughs> Woohoo! Actually, I'm doing like three of them right now. Wow. Um, Don't tell people that. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, one of them is not only ICF, but it's a full concrete they have their, it's something deck or something. Oh, yes. So okay. it's a it's a preformed, like, EPS T-beam that gets filled with concrete yeah. that works in coordination with ICFs. Interesting. Pass. And, and, and here is the kicker. The house is probably close to a little over 8,000 square feet. Holy smokes. And we have a barn that's probably another 3,000 square feet. Out of ICF? It's all ICF and all of this. Uh, it's something. Does the person sort of own an ICF company? No, is they do not. Okay. <laughs> but he is totally sold on it. And and then, of course, now, so we have this concrete floor. Now he's talking about, well, how do we get, uh, you know, I want to do a warm board floor. Mm. It's like, okay, so let's take this. Warm board? Yeah, let's take <laughs> this plywood 
um, based yeah. floor system and put it and top. put it over concrete. That, yeah. So now we're figuring that out, but they do have a solution. But anyways, so I was going to say you've provided Pete's information resource with the two sections of the code. So tell us again, real quickly, what those two sections of the code okay, are. Okay, so you you glazed over that just a tiny bit. Our new feature at the end of every podcast is going to be Pete's resource. So Pete has favorite resources for everything. We tried to talk him out of this, and he's insistent that this is what we have to do. And so this week's Pete's resource is, well, let's, resource. let's, let's call it uh, Chapter 5 in the code book, Floor right. Framing, but uh, R502.2 and R502.8. And those are the 2021. I don't know what if it's moved a little bit from yeah. year to year, but the, I'm going out of 2021 because that's what we have in the office. Close enough. So. Hey, I have a self-serving PSA, too. <laughs> Okay. So on the uh, podcast, Unbuild It podcast, you can find, I just started a series called Before the Build. And what it is, is it's a 20, let's say 24 plus video series where we talk everything just like we had this conversation. I'm going to have a video where I'm going to talk about the floor frame. With Big Red. Or with Big Red and the foundation system. But we're going to go through a bunch of these decisions on why did we choose this yeah. floor system why did we choose this wall and you've already system? got like three four five I three, six up three, I, I have three up they're really and, good uh, they're really good we, we have some more that are you know coming up weekly so go check those out so it's important to note as we say goodbye here that when steve says they're on the podcast they're not the audio version you're gonna have to subscribe to the youtube channel they are video only uh there are some other videos up that are video only we have some wingnut testing from peter we have a whole bunch of other stuff that goes up every tuesday there's another video besides the thursday content that we put out so make sure you subscribe uh there's a little bell so you get a notification every time that we post something and certainly like and comment and go to itunes and leave us a five-star review that's how other people find us other than you telling your friends so and jake and i are contributors to the build show network we have the whole um build show build where jake and i did 12 episodes of the building of the hilltop arrow project so go check those out those are really great videos and again we we talk about all this stuff through construction my before the build is overhead looking at drawings and decisions made before the build but the build show uh build is during construction well done and something to check out too gentlemen thank you for joining me today awesome have a good day